Amen, amen. It's good to be with you this morning. It's good to be here. Boy, it's good to watch that video. I could watch that a hundred times and not be uh, blessed and thankful for Northwest Baptist Church and the people that we have here. And the year that we had in 2021, we kind of uh, got pent up in 2020, so we just let it all let it all go in 2021. We had a lot of fun, though. And the Lord was blessed and glorified by his people, the work that you did, his church, for his glory. Amen. <clears throat> and uh, so if you missed some of those things on the, on the picture version, I'm going to give them to you in uh, oral format. Um, we hired a new youth pastor, Mr. Cody Tooley. Yeah. You don't have to, uh, yeah, that's good. We, uh, we don't have to cheer for every one of these because there's a lot of them, but uh, I'll, I'll give you some of the highlights. We hired a new youth pastor, Mr. Cody. We had uh, over 128 campers and 80 volunteers in our Champs Camp VBS extravaganza. We had uh, over 75 people at our Pancakes and Princesses event, our mother and son event, their Nerf War had over 50 people. We had two mission OKCs, which we went out into our community sharing the gospel and serving in our community, one during spring break and one during the fall. We went to Utah with the gospel and helping a church plant there. We went to North Africa and helped uh, plant a church there in North Africa with the missionaries that we sent from our church. We had Missions Month in which we had a huge success, multiple gospel presentations, um, some salvations in that box in the Welcome Center. You can see all those ping pong balls there. We had 22 baptisms, 37 new members, and three community groups started in 2021. The Summer Club and the club returned in 2021, as did Men's Breakfast. The Women of Grace uh, kicked off events um, in which many women attended. Men's had My Five Accountability Groups. The Clothing Closet continued to serve our community. The Senior Adults started an event called The Gospel Sing. We launched a new app. The year before, we had launched a new website. We launched a new app. We started something uh, in our Worship Together services called the Sermon Blitz, in which we had multiple preachers preaching uh, multiple texts of Scripture. We hired a building manager, Mr. Ron Heist, and he did a fantastic job with the building and grounds team. Yeah, give it up for Mr. Ron. He's been doing a fantastic job. And uh, Paul Ferguson, our building and grounds chairman, they accomplished a lot this year. Uh, they repaved the parking lots. They trimmed every tree in the facility. They had our van and bus tagged with our logos. They had new lights in the gym, multiple things upgraded. Uh, we, we have a new chapel over here. We call it the House of Prayer. We had a stained glass window project in which we're in almost finished with. Uh, our audiovisual team had TVs throughout the building that are streaming the services now. Uh, we had Operation Christmas Child, in which we gave out 124 boxes. We had Missionary Christmas Tree, which we supported missionaries all over the world with Christmas gifts for them and their families. We had a women's retreat here in our building, in which we had over 100 women. We had homeless outreaches throughout the, uh, the year, and uh, many, many people touched by uh, our, our giving to that and uh, our ability to go and reach homeless people. One of the large things we did this year was we gave away $106,000. Uh, we gave to multiple organizations outside of our church, furthering the gospel and the kingdom by giving 
outside of us. Amen? That's just a few things I, I remembered this week while I was in quarantine. So uh, <clears throat> if, if you have more, I'm sure that you and your community group have much to talk about in your community group about what God did in 2021. At the beginning of each year, I like to um, give our people something to think about for the year upcoming. In 2019, um, our idea or our thought was to seek the face of God. Um, in Second Chronicles 7:14, in our people returning a heart of worship and a heart of prayer. In 2020, um, <clears throat> it was encouraging Christ-centered community within the body. Uh, funny enough, that was the pandemic and uh, community groups that was a focus for us and the importance of being in genuine Christ-centered community. In 2021, if you can remember, our, our thought was repentance brings joy, having joy um, from the Lord about what he has done and what he will do. And I believe that our church genuinely has joy uh, being a child of God, repenting from our ways of the world and following Jesus. In 2022, um, the thought is to live like you were dying. Um, I, I've been reflecting on this, and uh, the last sermon I preached in 2021 kind of had this this idea that we need to live now in this earth and this world like we were preparing for eternity. To dwell in the presence of God forever. To live right now in preparation to be face to face with our creator, God. Second Corinthians 4.17 kind of sums this up. It says this, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory. Beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We're preparing us to see God face to face. As, as we look throughout the scriptures, God uses meticulous preparation for his people for him to come and dwell among them. Meticulous preparations are made to meet with the Lord in every circumstance throughout the Bible. On Mount Sinai, there's, there's meticulous preparation for God's people. To dwell in the tabernacle with his people. There's meticulous preparations and things have to be in order. To visit God into the Holy of Holies, the priest had to come in meticulously prepared to be in the presence of God. All of the Old Testament is preparing for God to be made flesh and make his dwelling among men in Christ. He prepares his people in ways so that he can come and dwell in their midst. Christ is the preparation for the Holy Spirit to come 
And this life is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory in the next. So it is a call for us, the church, to be prepared for what lies next. And in order to do that, we need to live like we were dying. It's a call to one of our core values, which is to love in action. Love in action. So I think we can do that this year. And it's always amazing for me to see at the end of the year how God works in the hearts of his people um, to accomplish his goals and his mission for his purpose. And we're going to see that today in the book of Genesis. Um, We're going to continue our series, Christ in All of Scripture. Last week, uh, Matt McConnell gave us a detailed look at who Jesus is. And we're talking about him in all of Scripture. He is active in creation. He is the king of kings. He is king over all things. His kingdom will, there will be no end. So when we look in the Old Testament, we see Christ. He is all over it. In Genesis, he is present at creation. Colossians 1 says, by him all things were created. He is the promised seed of the woman who will crush the head of the serpent, but whose heel will be struck by the serpent. In Genesis 3.15, foreshadowing the cross. He is the ark that will rescue his people amidst their sin and save them from the judgment of a righteous God, just like in the days of Noah. He is the one who will redeem the nations after the Tower of Babel as he will take them to heaven as he brings glory to God through the sacrifice of the cross. He is the priest in the order of Melchizedek who blesses his people as he brings out the bread and the wine so that God's people can fellowship with the Lord himself as he will then be the bread and the drink in which we take and eat to have fellowship with our God. He is the ram who is sacrificed as a substitute for Isaac, Abraham's son, as God's provision for his people. He is the king promised from the tribe of Judah. He is the one who will be betrayed by his own people, just as Joseph was, yet showed forgiveness and love for those You see, all of Genesis speaks of Jesus, but in every single book, I'm going to try to give you the central text of the book. So I just showed you how Jesus is all throughout Genesis, but we're going to try to to find what the, the biblical author is trying to tell the reader, you, me. And what he's trying to say as the central theme, a unified story about Christ. And thus, I believe we come to the very central text of Genesis, which means new beginnings, which is Genesis 12, the call of Abraham. If you'll stand with me in the reading of God's word, we stand in honor of reading God's word here at Northwest. 
because we believe the word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, and God has for us his word to read. And so we read Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At the time the Canaanites were in the land, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built the altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abraham journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. You can be seated. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would bless our time together as we search your word and your truths from the truths of scripture. Father, we thank you that you have given us your word and principles in which we can see you at work in the Old Testament, that we can see Christ in the coming Messiah, that we can see you are, are fulfilling your promises. You have a plan in all things, and just as you have a plan in our lives today, Father, you had a plan for salvation from the beginning. <clears throat> and Father, we ask that you would give us hearts that yearn and seek after you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm really excited about this message, but I hope I don't pass out in the beginning, okay? So this week has been a long week, but I'm really excited to share this with you. And I wanted to do that, and so I'm going to do that, okay? So can you bring me water? <laughs> I really am excited. But I have to ask you this question. Why this passage, right? Why, why is this the center of the book of Genesis? I mean, but why does Moses, the author of Genesis, the first five books, why is he pointing to this as the central theme? And, and, and I believe that the book is actually structured to show us this. Not only are the first 11 chapters uh, 2,000 years worth of history, and then you slow down to, to, to focus on one family. But I think he also writes Genesis in a structural way to get at this central story. Tim Hare, one of my buddies who we do a podcast together, he presents this literary device as a chiasm 
in which Moses is bringing this story to life and pointing people to this story as the central message of Genesis. In a literary device called the chiasm, stories are presented and then repeated in reverse order. And the result is a mirror effect as the ideas are reflected back in a passage. Now, you may be thinking, what are you talking about here? The beginning and the end match, except it's inverse. And it's the second and the second to last match. It's inverse until it comes to the center. Let me show you. Adam and Eve in creation, they work and keep the garden. They're to rule over the creation, but what happens? They, they fail, right? And guess who now rules? The serpent is now ruling over God's creation because of sin and death. What's the last story of the Bible? It's Joseph. He's God's seed. And guess what? He is now ruling on the serpent's throne, Egypt. What looked like the serpent is going to win at the beginning of the story, at the end of Genesis, who is ruling? God's man, Joseph, is ruling. Adam is naked, and therefore God clothes him because of his sin, and, and he does not, uh, he, he succumbs to the temptation. Well, Joseph is tempted by Potiphar's wife, and guess what? He becomes naked because he doesn't succumb to the temptation. You see the the similarities in the stories except in verse. All right? So those are the two bookends. What's the second story? It's the struggle of two brothers, Cain and Abel. The older, the seed of the serpent. Thanks, Thanks, Ron. Appreciate that, man. Ron's a good man. We love him. He's, so Cain overcomes the younger brother, the seed of the serpent Cain, who is evil, does evil in the eyes of the Lord, versus Abel. Now, the second to last story is another story of two brothers, Esau and Jacob. And Jacob overcomes, who is the younger brother, overcomes the older brother. You see the inverse here, God's seed overcoming the seed of the serpent. Now you say, well, how is Esau the seed of the serpent? He marries Canaanite women. Story number three leads us to story number three. Genesis 6, the sons of God are marrying the daughters of man, which leads to a wicked world that is destroyed by the flood. They take forbidden uh, women. In the third to last story, Genesis 24, Abraham finds a woman for Isaac from his own country. The Lord provides Rebekah. It's an inverse there. The fourth story of the Bible, saving a righteous family of Noah. The Lord does this as he destroys the earth by the flood. At the end of the flood, there is one son of Noah who is acting wickedly. The fourth to last story of the Bible is Genesis 19. God saves a righteous family by fire in the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. The daughters act wickedly. What's the fifth story? Genesis 11. 
It is after the flood, they settle in, in Shinar and they build this tower called the Tower of Babel to elevate themselves to God. And the fifth to last story is Genesis 13 for all the land <clears throat> that you see arise in verse 18. He settles by the oaks of Mamre and he builds an altar to worship the Lord. It's, it's a similar inverse there. They build a tower for themselves. Abram builds an altar unto the Lord. So the inverse is at the beginning of the story, the first 11 chapters of Genesis, the enemy, the seed of the serpent, if you will, is winning. And the next 12 chapters, God is overcoming to show his plan of overcoming the serpent. And it's all through Genesis 3.15 in which the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent even though he will strike his heel. So that leads us to the middle part or the chain connection which is this passage, Genesis chapter 12. Let's read verses 1 through 3 again. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And this is our first point this morning. It's thus. God covenants with his people. God covenants with his people. Now I want you to notice carefully what is said to Abram. What is said to Abram is go from your country and your family and your father's house and what? And I will bless you. It's an interesting thought process. Go and I will bless you. Go and I will make your name great. I will make you a great nation. I will give you this land. He says that later in the text. This is a call for Abram to have faith. In this day and age, you were protected by your family. You were protected from armies, thieves, bandits, by your family and your possessions. Okay? The Lord tells Abram, who becomes Abraham, we know him as Abraham, to leave and go. So this is not a pack up the Mayflower truck and move up to Seattle type of deal, okay? This is a go to Seattle in the 1800s on the Oregon Trail type of deal, okay? This is hard. And where does Abram come from? Well, it tells us earlier in chapter 11 that Abram's father is Terah, and they had lived in the Ur of Chaldees, Chaldeans. That is the Babylonians. They are from 
Babel itself. The story of Babel is the story that precedes this. And just like in the days of Noah, when the earth had become wicked, all of the people of the earth have become wicked. Look at chapter 11, verse 4. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. Notice, who is the name for? Let us make a name for ourselves. What does it say? Verse 2, and I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? Tower of Babel, they're trying to make their name great. And God says, I will make you great, Abraham. You see, in the Tower of Babel, they think that they can reach heaven. So they build this tower for themselves to reach heaven, to make their name great. And God comes down to them to show them that they cannot make a great name for themselves. And then he chooses one man from them. And says, I will make your name great. You see, God is the only one who is to be glorified. And he takes an idol worshiper, Abram and his family, who are Babylonians from Babel, and says, I will make this my people. Joshua 24, 2 says this, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, and they served other gods. Joshua tells us that Terah and Abraham were idolaters. They were Babylonians. They were idol worshipers. And God says, I'm going to fulfill my promise through an idol worshiper. I'm going to fulfill my promise through a man who is barren. I'm going to fulfill my promise through this man. So God desires for his creation to worship him alone. So he calls a man to partner with, to fulfill his promise of crushing the head of the serpent. I used the word covenant earlier in our main point. And when you think of covenant, you think of this word partnership. This, this, this partnership often describes faithfulness. Marriage is probably the most well-known covenant that we understand in today's world. This, this is a partnership, this faithfulness established between two parties. There are at least four elements to biblical covenants. 
The elements are an intimate relationship, a public oath, a coordinating sign, and a perpetual obligation. So marriage, if this is our example, we have an intimate relationship with two people. We have this public oath in which we do the ceremony and we say, I do. We have the ring, right, as the coordinating sign that we are married. And then we have this perpetual obligation, which is to remain faithful to our spouse in sickness and in health, in poverty and in riches. And this is the covenant we make called marriage. It's a partnership. So it's interesting, Jesus compares his relationship to his church in describing it as a marriage, a partnership. You see, our marriage ought to reflect our relationship with God. In the Abrahamic covenant, we see this intimate relationship between God and Abram. We see this in their dialogue and in Abraham offering these sacrifices to the Lord. We see the element of faith as, as this public oath of faith. We see the sign of circumcision, which we be given later in chapter 17, and this continued faith and trust in this God to accomplish what he has promised Abraham. It's interesting to understand what happens at the end of the Old Testament. God's people, Abraham's, Abraham's children, the people of Israel, they lose their land. And they're sent into exile by who? Babylon, right? Which they came out of. <laughs> interesting enough. Why? Because they were an adulterous people. They worshipped other gods. They did not trust their God. Ezekiel 23.35 says it like this. Therefore says the Lord God, because you have forgotten me and cast me behind your back, you yourself must bear the consequences of your lewdness and whoring. The Lord said to me, Son of man, will you judge Ohala and Holabel? Declare to them their abominations, for they have committed adultery, and blood is on their hands with their idols. They have committed adultery, and they've been offered up to them for food, the children whom they have borne to me. God's people are called adulterous. And they live in idolatry. You can see here, Abraham makes this covenant of faith in God himself. Yet, our God is faithful even in our faithlessness. Why? Because he brings them back to the land, does he not? We know the story of Ezra and Nehemiah. He brings them back, even though they have been an adulterous people. And guess what? He chases after the nations, does he not? Even when they were wicked in the Tower of Babel. 
and he's coming back for them. And he does this by sending Jesus to redeem and restore the broken relationship in the new covenant, right? In which God gives a new heart to his own people so that they will love him by his strength and his power according to the Holy Spirit that is given to them. Amen? Have you thought of your relationship with God as a partnership? You see, God covenanted with Abram to make him a great nation, to make his name great, to bless the families of the earth. What has God covenanted with you to do? What is this new covenant that he's covenanted with you to do? Has, has he not told you that he would give you his spirit so that you would become his ambassador, that you would be witnesses of Christ to the ends of the earth? Did he not call you to go as he did Abraham? Did he not call you to be a blessing to the nations as he did Abraham by making disciples? Does he not say to you, I will be with you? How is the the covenant with Abraham that much different than the covenant that he has given to you, his church, in the blood of Jesus. By having faith in Christ. Yeah, it's not that much different. The, the problem of sin is an, is an issue, and we'll see that next here with Abram as he, <clears throat> as he basically does what Adam does in the garden. He doesn't guard and protect what God has given him, specifically his wife. She ends up going into, into Pharaoh or the seed of the serpent's harem, being, becoming the wife of Pharaoh. And sin is a problem, and yet God takes this idolater not because he's good. The next story is about Abraham's failure. He, he continues to mess up, yet God still accomplishes his promise through Abraham, does he not? So really, what are we talking about here? God gives his grace to an idolater of Babylon. And Abram responds to that grace in faith. Does that sound familiar? Let me read it for you. Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in, once, in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Abram, you're dead. You are a Babylonian worshiping idols. But God, 
But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Y'all know this verse. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Abraham is is our story. This is our story. Do do you believe God has a plan for you? Do, Do you believe that? Do you truly believe that? Even amidst your wickedness? I want you to read that story on your own time, 12, 10 through 20. It's a wicked story. Abraham gives his wife to the king of Egypt. That is wicked to the core. Specifically since she is the one to whom the promise is going to come. There's a lot tied up in that. I'm not gonna get into it. But do you believe that God has a plan for you, even amidst your wickedness, your shame, your faithlessness, does God have a plan specifically to accomplish his purposes and his promises through you, his church, his bride, his love? Because it's by grace you have been saved through faith. We must trust the promises of God. Let me read this again. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is point number two, and this is us. God redeems a cursed people with his blessing. God redeems a cursed people with his blessing. In these first three verses, blessing is used five times. God is blessing Abraham fivefold. In chapters 1 through 11, five times is He is using the word cursed. Five times, Abram, I will choose from from an idolatrous people. I will choose one in which I will bring the blessings of God to all the nations of the earth. Why? Because they were cursed. They were cursed. 
And they ate of the fruit of the tree. They were cursed in the garden. Genesis chapter 3, there's this enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. There will be one who will crush the head of the serpent, even though the serpent will strike the heel. The seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent will be at war. Yet, the seed of the woman, there will be one who will come. And this is continuing that line. Through the seed of Abraham, there will be one who will come, who will bless the families of the earth. In David, there will be a seed who will come, who his reign will be forever. God is continuing the seed from Genesis 3.15 to Abraham then to David, who we know is Christ. God, so what are the curses in the garden? Well, one of the curses for the woman is pain in childbearing. There will be difficulty between the husband and the wife. There will be difficulty in this childbearing, producing children. Abraham and Sarah experienced this firsthand. Abraham is 75 years old here when God calls him, and he has no child. He's 100 before him and Sarah have Isaac. And what does God say? God says, I will make you a great nation. I will reverse that curse. I will bless you, Abraham. What else does he curse in Genesis 3? In the fall, he curses man with the land. Cursed is the ground. Now God is giving the land as a blessing to his people. Land, seed, blessing. That's what we'll see all the way through in the next few chapters as God reaffirms his covenant over and over and over and over again with Abraham. Land, seed, blessing. Instead of curses, God is giving blessings. He is redeeming that which is broken through the lineage of Abraham. He is partnering with Abraham to bring about Jesus. Amen? Look at this story. God partners with his people to accomplish his plans. Why does he choose Abraham? of his grace why does he choose you you it's because of his grace he wants to turn your curses into blessings this story is not much different than my story it's not different than your story God takes a broken, dead in sin idolater and makes him a partner by his grace through faith in God that he will accomplish his promise of redemption. He then is steadfast and fulfills the promise, making us great by walking with us to be a blessing to others. God himself is redeeming 
his creation. I want to I want to touch on on verse three. I will bless those who bless you, and in him, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Him who dishonors you, I will curse. There is this battle being waged. The seed of the serpent, Satan's kingdom, and the kingdom of God, and the people of God. And those who are of the people of God will receive the ultimate blessing of God, which is a return to Eden, the last page of the Bible, in which we discussed two weeks ago, in which we will return and be in the presence of God as we were created to be, to enjoy and to rule and reign with Him forever. But the ancient serpent, Satan himself, He wants to curse. He wants to bring about humanity's downfall to live in this cursed world. We see that in the first 11 chapters, the depravity of man continuing to spiral, spiral, spiral out of control. Multiple times we hit the reset button with Noah. We hit the reset button with Seth. We hit the reset button, the Tower of Babel, and yet continuing to spiral out of control until God says, I will do this. I will be the one who fulfills not only this covenant, but the Mosaic covenant, the law. I will come in flesh Make my dwelling among man so that I will fulfill the covenant of blessing upon my people. It's interesting to note that, that uh, I read, read somewhere where um, <clears throat> the fullness, it, it describes later in the, in the chapters, it describes the fullness of the covenant of the land blessing of the exact places where God is giving them the land and they have never fulfilled the full amount of land the people of Israel in which God prescribes to them in Genesis and why why is that well because it's a future blessing God God is going to bring about his perfect fulfillment of the future blessing of returning us to this garden-like state in the new Jerusalem, which will be perfect and holy with our Heavenly Father. So, God is redeeming His creation. He's coming to be cursed upon a cross so that we can enjoy the blessings of God. Amen? All right? All right. Now, Wait for it. Verse 3. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is it. This is the third point. The gospel is for all nations. The gospel is for all nations. You say, Rob, how can this be? What are you talking about the gospel? This is the Old Testament. How does this work? What are you talking about? Why do you bring the gospel and why do you bring nations into every single sermon? All right? This is great. Don't take my word for it. 
Take, take the Apostle Paul, okay? Galatians 3, 7. This is what he says. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Wait, did I read that right? Let me read that again for you, just in case you didn't get it. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. God preached the gospel to Abraham. Isn't that amazing? God preached the gospel to Abraham. God preached the gospel to Abraham. And he says, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. How did he preach the gospel to Abraham in the Old Testament? And how did he believe in the gospel? By faith. By faith. God would bless the nations through his seed. The one who would crush the head of the serpent. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. The good news, God is providing redemption for the nations. And we know who that's through. We knew that is through Jesus who died on a cross to bring the nations back to him from the Tower of Babel, from Genesis 11, so that they could be with God for all eternity and they could believe upon Christ for salvation and it could be credited to them as righteousness. Our Bible, we need to read it because it is powerful and it is glorious and we should believe that our God has a plan for our life just like he does Abraham. Do you believe that, church? Do you believe that the Lord wants to preach the gospel to you? And then he wants to indwell you and give you the power to preach it to the nations and be a blessing to them. Amen? Let's go be a blessing to the nations. Let's pray.